So let's hear the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Ananoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 30th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go even, sorry, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all the who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. The kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me. In burning incense to other gods and worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but you will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then chapter 7 and verse 12 to 29 Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you are doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name the temple you trust in, the place I gave you 
to give to you and to your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood. The fathers light the fire. The women knead the dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger. But am I the one they are provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the crops of the land. And it will burn and not be quenched. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I have commanded you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me, nor pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God, nor responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up a lament on a barren heights. For the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. This morning, uh, you'll have to forgive my riffing style, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm not very good at this kind of thing. But um, I do want us to... Uh, also recognize that there are lots of things that we're going to leave out in the book of Jeremiah. We're only here for two weeks and um, you'll be raising questions. Well, uh, you know, why didn't he deal with this? Why didn't he mention that? We can't do everything. Very much a whistle-stop tour. But I do want to mention a couple of things that you can take away as homework. Looking over there, who enjoys homework? Not very many. Um, and uh, but the, the great thing about my homework, the homework that I set, is that a it's a bit more interesting than the usual homework you get set. And secondly, um, I'm not going to follow it up at all. You don't have to do it. So yeah, so some homework. I'll be mentioning those things as we go along. Um, thank you, particularly to those who read for us today. Um, and I do want to also make reference to the slides 
The slides are as much to keep me on track as to help you understand what's happening. So, first one, absolutely right, is the map. Now, I've got a very low-tech um, pointer. We didn't quite trust the, the laser pointer. We thought it might switch everything off. So, here's the map. Jeremiah um, served in Jerusalem, here, and in uh, the nation of Judah, which at that point had been separated um, from its northern neighbor, Israel, the kingdom of Israel. We'll come back to that in a moment. But uh, the, uh, the time that Jeremiah served in was probably the worst time that the people of God in the Old Testament had ever experienced. And we'll go on to see why that was. And um, the, the political situation at that time is important for us to recognize. As you read the book of Jeremiah, you will find that he's no fan of um, the kingdom of Babylon, the empire of Babylon. But from time to time, he keeps saying to the leadership of Judah, look, you need to make peace with, the, with this kingdom of Babylon, because otherwise they're going to come and destroy us all. This kingdom down here, Egypt, is the one that the, uh, the leadership of Judah kept wanting to go back to. They thought that Egypt would protect them. As it happened, they didn't. And this uh, empire here is the new, <laughs> the new Babylonian Empire. I love the way the historians call it the new Babylonian Empire. It's not new anymore, is it? Anyway, but um, and the nations here, you've got Syria over here. You've got Iraq over here. This is Turkey up here, Iran over here. And further on, the Median Empire, you've got Afghanistan in, in the nation. So this is roughly what we've got here, Egypt, obviously down here. And here's Jerusalem and Israel and Judah. Now, the new Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, you remember we've been talking about Nebuchadnezzar over the last week or so? He was uh, the chief of Babylon, and they had inherited this empire from the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a very cruel bunch, but um, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were a bit more switched on. I think they weren't quite as barbarous. They invaded um, Judah uh, in uh, 597, I think it was, deported a whole load of people during uh, the ministry of Jeremiah, and then the final deportation, the final destruction, if you like, of Jerusalem took place in 586, 587, and then the rest of the people went off to exile in Babylon, and that's where Daniel ministered. So just putting in context, last couple of weeks we've been reading about Daniel. I'll put my low-tech pointer over here. And um, so that's the situation. And maybe we could go to the next slide. That's the political um, background. If we could go to the next slide and have a look. So this is a prophet Jeremiah. Next slide, please. I will be referring to these slides. Now, this is where we're going today. Jeremiah in popular culture uh, and um, uh, the, uh, some of the features of why we recognize Jeremiah. Jeremiah being one of the prophets. Well, who were they? Um, and where did they come from? Jeremiah, the man and his times. Very much today, that will be the focus uh, of our study today. And then God calling Jeremiah 
as we've already seen in Jeremiah chapter one. And then what's to be our response to all of this? Is it relevant for us today? Well, we're gonna see that it is. So let's go on, that's where we're going. And then our next slide is Jeremiah in popular culture. Now, Jeremiah is not a figure that's well known in the world today. He's not actually very well known in the Christian church either, despite being the longest book in the Bible. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that until I started looking at it. Jeremiah in popular culture. We get the name Jeremy. Clarkson, Beadle, whoever you want. The name Jeremy comes from this name, Jeremiah. But also, uh, you can be known as a bit of a Jeremiah. Um, and that is somebody who is a pessimist, who takes a bleak outlook. Um, Eeyore uh, in A.A. Uh, a. Mill land and also the Marsh Wiggle. Here's a piece of homework for you. Um, what was the name? You don't have to tell me now. What was the name of the Marsh Wiggle? In the Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. Looking at you, Grace. Um, so the next thing is a, a Jeremiah adverse. This is something I didn't know until this week. Those of you who are fans of poetry, did you know this, that there is actually a poetic structure called a Jeremiad? And a Jeremiad is a literary work or speech expressing a bitter lament or a righteous prophecy of doom. <laughs> so uh, this is not going to be the brightest sermon you've ever heard today. But, um, and also going on, popular culture, Leonard Bernstein's first symphony. I'm a great fan of Leonard Bernstein, probably the greatest conductor in the 20th century, but he was also a great composer. West Side Story, you'll all have heard of that, at least if you're my age. Leonard Bernstein wrote two symphonies, and the first was called Jeremiah, piece of homework for you. Go home, find it, listen to the first two minutes on YouTube. See if it lowers uh, your mood or heightens it. <laughs> See what you think about that one. Did you know that there are 40 quotations from the book of Jeremiah in the New Testament? No, I didn't know that. Jeremiah is one of these foundational books of the Old Testament. I'm tempted to say that if you don't understand the book of Jeremiah, you don't understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a story of failure. We're coming towards the end of Old Testament history here. And um, it's a story of failure. And it feels as though the Old Testament kind of fizzles out. We'll see how that happens in a moment. He's one of the great figures of history, certainly one of the great figures of the Old Testament history, but he's largely unknown today, even amongst Christians. He's not fashionable in Christian circles today. So next slide. Who were the prophets? Maybe if we go on to the next one, and then we'll come back to this one. Here's my my pointer will still be here who were the prophets now i found this diagram really helpful really helpful. you may not find it so but i found it really helpful um it's not um 
uh, according to time scale. So you please bear that in mind. This bit here is really important. This is the schism, or as my teachers used to say, schism. That's how you're supposed to say that word. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm still going to call it schism. That happened in 922 BC, and it separated the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, from the southern kingdom of Judah. And these prophets served the northern kingdom, Elijah, Amos, Hosea, until the exile to Assyria. Do you remember the previous empire to Babylon? Now, they were all taken off into exile in Assyria in 722. But at the schism, you've got the southern kingdom. And here you've got the prophets Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, and then later Ezekiel. As I say, this is not according to timescale, because all these people need to be concertinaed, really. And this bit here is really important for us to understand. The first deportation to Babylon happened in 597, when Jeremiah was preaching. The second deportation happened a bit later, nine years later, um, certainly when Jeremiah was still preaching, but also when Ezekiel came along. Now, these deportations are really important. Do you remember that's where Daniel ministered in Babylon? And Daniel would have been one of the people who was taken with his friends to Babylon. And then later on, when you've got the return, which was ordered by Darius the Mede. Do you remember Daniel said that last week? Darius the Mede, he said that the people of God in Judah could return to Jerusalem. And you've got the prophets Haggai, Malachi, and Zechariah, and the ministry of Ezra and Nehemiah. Again, these need to be concertinaed together. But actually, that's a really helpful diagram to help us understand, particularly the last bit of Old Testament history. Don't worry if you don't get any of that. There's no homework um, involved in any of that. So who were the prophets? Maybe we could go back to the previous slide. So the original prophet in the Old Testament was Moses, of course. Um, but these prophets that I've just mentioned, Haggai, Malachi, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on, were mainly active in the 8th and 6th centuries BC, 722, 587, and so on. They were mainly active during that period because the failures of the Old Testament people of God were starting to be more and more obvious. And uh, although you've got one or two good kings, Josiah and so on, you've got a lot of bad kings. You can read about them in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And these prophets are often referred to as being in schools of the prophets. Now, what I've read and what I suppose is that the prophets during that time were largely paid for uh, through the central budgeting of the king. And when you understand the, the role of prophets, you need to also understand the role of priests and kings. The king's top, got, top dog and then the priests handle the religious side of uh, the Old Testament people of God. And the prophets are talking directly from God to the people of God. And um, they are sometimes uh, referred to as being in school. They're organized together. Now, I think that they were like prophet universities. 
paid for by central budgeting and they churned out profits. And what we sometimes have is false prophets, not always faithful to God. And we're going to be hearing a bit more about that next week. So some of them are not always faithful to God and they're giving the wrong message. They are false prophets. But the faithful prophets seem to be few and far between, certainly the minority, and they're often rejected and persecuted. We'll hear a bit more about that next week and what happened to Jeremiah. And the role of the prophet is to identify and rebuke the sin of the people of God, to call Israel, Judah, back to God and pronouncing judgment and looking forward to future salvation and to Messiah. You might want to write that last one down. That's really important, what their role was. They identified and rebuked sin. They called the people of God back to him. They pronounced judgment, and they look forward to better times, to future salvation, and to the coming of Messiah. That's their role. So, Jeremiah, the man and his times. Thank you. Um, so Jeremiah chapter 1, the call comes in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. Josiah was a good king. Do you remember that lovely story of where they're cleaning out the temple and they find this old scroll? When I was about 13, I was um, in the church in Send, little church in Send. You, you may know it. It's a little chapel that used to be called Cartbridge Chapel. And we had, to, we had to renovate it. It had been used by the scout group for years and years and had gone into disrepair. And um, we had to clean out everything. And what we found were old Bibles and so on. And what we did find one time was a collection box for the ministry of David Livingston. And in a way, it was sad because here was a church who had been a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church uh, and it had faded away. And now we were a new church coming in, seeking to renovate this temple, if you like. And we found this collection box. It took you back. That's what happened with Josiah. He ordered reforms and they cleaned out the temple and they found the scroll of the Torah. And it was great times. So Josiah was a reforming, a good king didn't quite go far enough and couldn't speak into the hearts of God's people. He was a young king, and Jeremiah was a contemporary of Josiah. They grew up together and probably knew each other. Now, if you translate uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 in a certain way, which I think is probably the correct way, you will find that Jeremiah was probably a teenager when he received this call. He came, the call came to him in the 13th year of Josiah. He was probably a teenager, may even have been as, as young as 13. Worth thinking about that God loves to deal with teenagers. He loves to deal with young people. In fact, sometimes I think, he loves to deal with young people more than he loves to deal with old people. Anyway, Jeremiah served for 40 years under five kings. Some of them are mentioned here. One or two of them only served for three months, so they're not mentioned. 
but he served under five kings. A 40-year ministry, it was a very unusual ministry, lasted a long time. And as I say, the nation of Judah is at an all-time low. When Martin read uh, chapter 7, that section of chapter 7 for us, it's, it, um, it describes Judah as being a nation which is characterised by deceit. Uh, and people were fraudulent and they didn't look after each other. Things had got so bad that at the instigation of the false prophets and teachers, the nation has been offering child sacrifice to Baal and to Moloch. How they would do it, I don't want to be too graphic, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to frighten anybody, but this is what they did. This really happened. You would take your two or three-year-old down to the Valley of Hinnom. The false prophets would be there with their priests. You would give your two or three-year-olds, this is unspeakable, hand your child over to the priests. They would heat up the bronze image, and it had arms that swiveled like this. they tie the child to the image uh, chest, heat up the arms, and the arms would come across and kill the child. That's how low things had got in the nation of Judah at that time. And Jeremiah, speaking into that situation, chapter 7, or at least God speaking to Jeremiah in the context of chapter 7 there, things had never been as bad. They were really awful. The nation was characterized by greed practice of deceit and the religious leaders are deceiving the people into thinking that they're okay now we want to be careful at this point because i don't want to draw direct parallels between the nation at that time and our own nation if you start going down that road you get into all sorts of difficulties however it is not beyond the realms of possibility that a parallel could be drawn between the nation of Judah and the things that happen in our own country at this time. I just need to mention the practice of abortion. So, at this time, what, what God is saying to Jeremiah in chapter 1 is that he has had enough. The promises and the warnings that he'd given in Deuteronomy chapter 28, before the nation went uh, into Israel itself, and he'd given them the promised land, the land that was going to be flowing with milk and honey. He said, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you do not obey me, I will judge you. Now, God had been giving this message to the nation through his prophets for a long time. And he'd not followed through. But now he was saying to Jeremiah, I will follow through. I have given the nation enough warnings. And now, even though you speak to them, they will not listen to you. Indeed, you are not even to pray for them, because I'm going to follow through with judgment. But we were on holiday this summer. Uh, we had the great privilege of being visited on the beach by our daughter and son-in-law and their children. We love them to bits. And I was just watching Evan, he's our son-in-law, with Max, our 
little boy, our little grandson, who's nearly three. So he's in the terrible two still. And um, Max doesn't always do what he's told. And I, he, was, he was doing something that Evan really didn't agree with. And uh, just watching him, and Evan got to the point where he said, all right, Max, one, Max kept on doing what he's doing. Two, Max carried on doing and even looked at Evan in a very defiant kind of way. And then three, Max carried on doing. At that point, he was whisked off and judgment was meted out to him in a way that I didn't see, which I was quite glad, actually. Uh, but in, this, in a much more serious way, God was saying to his people, I've had enough. I've had enough. And when God says that to a person or a nation or a church, it's a perilous place to be. And God has had enough of you. And God says, I'm now going to judge you. So, God calls Jeremiah to be his prophet. Next slide, please. God had made his decision to call Jeremiah to the, uh, the office of prophet before he was even born. Uh, I might have to wear my glasses at this point. The word of the Lord came to me saying, this is verse four, yes. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God made this decision before Jeremiah was even born. God is a planner. We've seen the failure of planning this week, haven't we? God is not lastminute.com. He has plans and he fulfills them. God had made this decision to call Jeremiah to the office of prophet before he was even born. And God was to put his words in Jeremiah's mouth, verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down. Next thing, God will be watching Jeremiah. God will be watching Jeremiah. That's a positive and a negative because there's a positive there because some of the things that happened to Jeremiah, which we're going to see next week, it's a good job that Jeremiah had the knowledge that God was watching him. There's also a negative side, isn't there? God is watching to see that Jeremiah will carry through the office to which God has called him. He will be watching Jeremiah, verse 11 and 12. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you've seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. Just taken up cooking in the last year or so. My dread is that one day I'll go to the oven and whatever I pull out of the oven is going to tilt towards me like this. That's exactly what Jeremiah saw in that little vision there. A pot tilting away from the north and its contents would be poured out on the nation of Judah. So 
Judgment's coming from the north. Good job John Tyndall's not here. <laughs> Jeremiah's response is understandable, but unacceptable. He says, I'm too young. What does he say? Um, do not say, I'm only a child, verse 7. You must go to everyone I send to you. Don't say to me, I'm only a child. Now, in one sense, of course, Jeremiah was perfectly entitled to say I'm a child because he was. But he was saying, I'm too young. God says, don't say that to me. Get yourself ready. <laughs> and um, Jeremiah's response is, un is understandable, but unacceptable. God's response is, get yourself ready. Verse 17. What a privilege it is as a church. This is just a slight aside into Encourage Day. What a privilege we have to help Dave get ready for the ministry. Isn't that terrific? I hope you see that, that when God said to Jeremiah, get yourself ready, he says that to pastors and teachers throughout the land, throughout the world. Get yourself ready. It's not something that you immediately take up and go out and stop preaching. You need to get yourself ready. And as a church, it's a privilege to help Dave get ready for future ministry. So, in summary, verse 7, this is what Jeremiah is to do. Don't say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. When God says to Jeremiah, I will rescue you, he's not saying I will rescue you from these things i will rescue you in the difficulties that you face one of the ek leaders has just appeared so i'm going to have to speak up and get on with it we're nearly there you'll be glad to know but god promises to be with jeremiah and protect him verses 18 and 19 don't be terrified by them All right what's to be our response and i want us to notice uh, the relevance of this question to us as a church, but also as individuals. We're to pray to the Lord of the harvest that God will raise up small p prophets. That's what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples. The fields are white under harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up workers for his field. In the same way that God called Jeremiah, we pray that God will raise up those who will preach his word, because that is what God deals uh, in. We are depressed uh, by the political situation in the world. We've seen on our TV screens this week the collapse of Afghanistan, the terrible things happening in Haiti. What's God's response to that? God's response to that is to raise up small p prophets. God will be with us as we declare God's message that's the message god gave to jeremiah i will be with you do not be afraid of them it's the same message to us as a church and to you as individuals as you seek to win the hearts and minds of those around you who are not converted god will be with you as you declare his message and our judgment is to be our message is to be one of judgment and hope god is going to judge the world one day and that day will be fearful, terrible, 
and catastrophic. I do want you to indulge me just for a moment. Can we go on two slides, please? Yeah, maybe the next one. Yeah, this one. You can't see them very well, but these are the paint, two paintings of a triptych, more homework, you can go look up that word. It's a series of three. Triptych um, by a, a famous painter who's not very well known anymore called John Martin. Go to the Tate Gallery website, see what you can find out about John Martin. John Martin was a Christian painter who painted paintings of judgment. He was a bit too fond of judgment, in my view. Uh, a lot of his paintings are very Jeremiah-like. But anyway, this painting, which you can't see very well, depicts the Lord and um, the elders uh, and the faithful in heaven. Over here, you've got the faithful who are being saved. Then there's a chasm, and then you've got the people who are being judged. It's not a very good likeness because you can't see it very well. You'll be able to see it better on the Tate Gallery website. Can we go back one, Joel? This one is called The Day of His Wrath. <laughs> John Martin loved a, a scene of judgment. And you can't see it very well, but there are people down here who are calling to the mountains fall on us. I don't know of any other artist who took God at his word seriously and painted what is in the Bible. These are people on that final judgment day, there's lightning coming across from the left there, they're crying to the mountains, fall on us, and the mountains are caving in on them. Now, John Martin was um, a popular painter in the early Victorian period. He died in 1854. And in 1853, this triptych of paintings, this trio of paintings, went on a world tour throughout the US and Europe. They were valued in today's money at millions of pounds, millions of pounds. Bit of homework. What does the Tate Gallery say they were actually worth at the time? And, but in 1932, they were valued at 32 pounds. Sorry, that's not correct. 1932, they were valued at seven pounds. Somebody paid seven pounds. Um, and in, uh, in the currency of the time, they were worth thousands and thousands of pounds. Such was the loss of belief in the judgment of God that had come from the Victorian period through to the modern period in the, in the 20th century, despite the First World War. People no longer believed in the judgment of God. And John Martin was called Mad Martin. We have our own Mad Martin here. <laughs> so let's go back to, yes, what's to be our response? Jesus spoke more of judgment than any other New Testament figure. And in my view, the Christian church is losing its edge in order to fit in, not to upset the apple cart and to be culturally relevant, because we don't really mention the judgment of God anymore. Now, Jesus said the judgment of God is coming, and he was very clear about the day of judgment. And as you read the book of Revelation and so on, it's... It could not be clearer that one day God is going to bring in a day where he will judge the world. 
and it will be uh, a day, a time of great sorrow for many, a time of rejoicing for the people of God. But the other side of the coin will be, it will be a day of judgment and tragedy and catastrophe for many. Now, the good news is that the judgment of God has fallen on Jesus. We don't fear the day of judgment because the judgment for our sins has been poured out on our Saviour already. So in a sense, we can look forward to the day of judgment because we will be with the Lord Jesus and in heaven. Judgment has fallen upon Jesus at the cross. So our sins have been taken away from us. They've been judged. They've been dealt with. It's a wonderful thing as Christians. But there still is that day of judgment coming. If we don't make that part of our message, we are found to be false prophets in the same way that the false prophets in Jeremiah's day said that everything was okay. The soldiers of Babylon were building their siege ramps. They're saying, it's okay. Egypt will save us. They'll come to our rescue. Jeremiah said, no, that God is going to follow through and he's going to judge us and he's going to destroy Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. We had to pray for our pastor, pray for our pastor in training and for our pastor. We had to pray for them that God will keep them faithful to his message in a day when it's so easy to lose your cutting edge. Are there prophets today? I'm inclined to think that there may be small p prophets, small p prophets that God raises up from time to time uh, in a a particular time. If you look on YouTube, a bit of homework as as there again, but you don't have to do this one. In fact, I recommend that you don't. But if if you look at prophets on YouTube today, you will find that they're more interested in American politics than they are in the gospel. It's a tragedy to see uh, people who are claiming to be Christian prophets who've lost their way and have become false prophets. So uh, let's go on to the picture of the, the first picture of the Mars bar. So if I was to ask Thomas Napper, he would know immediately what that picture is. It's a picture of a Mars bar wrapper. Very important we understand that. Because when you you take a Mars bar, you rip off the top or whatever you do, you take down the middle or you, what do you do with the wrapper? It's right away. You don't take it up to your bedroom and add it to your collection of Mars bars wrappers, do you? You take off the wrapper, you look at the Mars bar, and you throw the wrapper away. Now, in a funny kind of way, maybe we could go on to that last one, Joel. There's the Mars bar. <laughs> That's what you're after, isn't it? That's the one. So in a very basic kind of way, this is how we understand that what Jesus has done is he has done away with the office of prophet. He's fulfilled it. So the wrapper has gone. The office has gone. The Lord Jesus has come. He's fulfilled 
the offices of prophet, priest, and king. He is our prophet. Hebrews chapter 1 says that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. No more prophets. We don't acknowledge Muhammad. We acknowledge Jesus as the final big pre, big P prophet. And he's the real thing. The rapper has gone. Something to be very grateful for. We're going to be looking next week at more of what Jeremiah went through. But let's uh, praise God that we have had the final big P prophet. He is our saviour. God's judgment fell upon him. And now we wait until we join him in heaven.